Now for this month's special series on ReachMD, focus on future medicine. We're looking ahead to pivotal breakthroughs and technologies that will transform healthcare in the coming years. The environment is chaotic and uncontrolled, but a gateway for admissions to every specialty in the hospital. Did you know the emergency department is taking a lead in clinical research? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Art Kellerman, Professor of Emergency Medicine and Associate Dean for Health Policy at Emory University. Dr. Kellerman works clinically in the ER at Grady Memorial Hospital, Atlanta's only public hospital and level one trauma center. He's considered to be one of the nation's leading emergency care researchers, and he's a member of the Institute of Medicine, the IOM, of the National Academies. Today we're discussing emergency medicine research, the state of the art. Welcome, Dr. Kellerman. Hi. It's good to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about your career path and some of the things you've accomplished and why you want to talk about emergency room research today? Well, I've spent my career in emergency medicine from residency through a research fellowship and have largely practiced in public inner-city hospitals but in academic settings since the mid-1980s. And a lot of my own personal research has been clinically based or looked at issues involving how we deliver emergency care and the populations that use emergency departments. And I have always found that combining teaching at the bedside patient care and asking and answering academic questions is just an incredibly energizing and rewarding way to pursue a medical career. And in fact, the emergency department has increasingly become a pivotal arena for not just inpatient care, but outpatient care in the United States. And it's a very rich environment for tackling some of the most difficult and challenging dilemmas facing not only emergency physicians, but any acute care clinician. We know that the emergency department is the gateway to the rest of the hospital. And as a research pathway, it's got so many opportunities. It's got great historical data, and you've got a fairly captive audience. How have you seen this area explode in the last 20 years? The key issues are, first of all, more and more Americans, for better or for worse, have had to turn to the emergency department as the strains and challenges of our primary care system have become more evident. Also, many more patients today lack health insurance than 20 years ago, and for them, the emergency department sometimes is their only source of care or their last resort. Third, we've had major developments in biomedical research that have given us new diagnostic tools and new treatment technologies to make a difference in conditions with timely intervention that we weren't able to really affect in the past. For example, use of thrombolytics or prompt admission to a cath lab in the case of an acute MI, or aborting a stroke in evolution with thrombolytic therapy, or using advanced biomarkers to detect certain clinical diseases. So this combination of need and of increasingly powerful technologies have allowed us to really make a difference in the lives of patients in a way that is, again, both challenging but very rewarding in emergency care settings. Yeah, and you know, and I know it's in some of our listeners do too, it's really a very exciting place to be right now. 
There's been so many studies that have been done at the ER in the last 10 or 15 years. I'm just going to pick out a few of them. Can you tell us a little about the study out of Hopkins on HIV testing and what the whole medical community can learn from that? The papers that we're discussing came out of the scientific forum at the American College of Emergency Physicians, which is broadly considered one of the two top academic meetings for emergency medicine researchers each year in the country, the other being in the spring at the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine. That this particular session was really sort of the greatest hits or the highlights of literally hundreds of research papers that were presented at Scientific Assembly. And one that stood out was a study that looked back at 20 years of experience with HIV testing among emergency department patients at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. And this is uh, important because Hopkins was a very influential research ground in the early days of understanding the prevalence of HIV infection, particularly in patients who came in and did not know that they were infected, and were one of the major driving forces in developing the concept of universal precautions. In other words, assuming that every patient might have HIV, and therefore we should take appropriate protection from fluid and blood-borne pathogens in every case. In the beginning, we were saying, gee, this person might have AIDS, I'll glove, I'll be more careful, this person doesn't, I don't need to worry. And obviously today, we assume every patient is HIV positive just to make sure that we don't get burned in the patient who is in fact infected and not aware. Well, what this paper did was essentially looked at their most recent data on seroprevalence in their emergency department population and really kind of look back historically to see how things had changed over this 20-year period of time when enormous changes in the epidemiology and in the treatment of HIV have occurred in the United States. The bottom line was that they found that their overall prevalence rate was about 7.4% in males and in those ages 35 to 64, and that accounted for the majority of infections that they found in their emergency department. This was down a bit from 1992 and from 2000, but still an impressive amount and one that would certainly justify continued universal precautions. They also found that while there had been a sharp decrease in the number of patients coming in the door with unrecognized infections, once as high as three out of every four in 1987, hit a low of 20% in 2003, but now is trending back upwards. 42% of their patients were unaware that they were HIV positive. So this would have been patients that came in for whatever reason, thought they were negative, testing was done. They were tested and turned out to be seropositive. So it looks like we may be seeing an increase in people who have not been getting screened and therefore unaware that they're infected. They also found a little more than 60% of patients who reported having sex with an HIV-infected partner also had a positive serostatus. So basically, the bottom line for this study was that rates of unknown HIV infection, which had decreased steadily over the first 15 years, now look like they're trending upward. They've also seen an overall decrease in HIV prevalence in their population over the last five years. Most of that is due to a decrease in people with diagnosed HIV and may, in fact, reflect improvements in treatment, heart therapy, and the like. But clearly, this is a disease that continues to be a common challenge in emergency departments and one that requires ongoing vigilance. What is the take-home message for the rest of the practicing clinicians in the community? Well, I think, number one, it's that we have to continue to be careful about assuming that every patient we deal with might be HIV positive and, therefore, universal precautions are as relevant today as they ever were. Second, 
it's important for patients who are at risk of HIV to be tested. The fact that we're seeing an increase, or at least the folks at Hopkins are seeing an increase in the number of patients or the percentage that didn't know they were infected suggests that both they and us need to be more alert to making sure that people get tested. Because we do know that if people are aware of their status, by and large, they will change their behavior and tend to be more careful. And if people don't know they're infected, they're more likely to pass the infection on to a partner. Third, it's clear that we have to make sure that people don't become complacent and that in an era where we now have a lot of treatment options, that people take prevention less seriously. So we need to redouble our efforts on prevention, redouble our efforts on advising and when appropriate testing and continue to practice universal precautions to control this deadly disease. And those are some great lessons to come out of emergency room research. Let's talk about this study in Stony Brook. Admitted patients not having a bed. We see this as an almost everyday occurrence in larger hospitals. How was this studied and what did they find? The group at Stony Brook have really championed a straightforward but for some radical notion. And that is that when the hospital is full, and admitted patients are backing up in the emergency department. And this is, in fact, the number one contributor to ER crowding across the country. They basically challenge the notion, why do we do this? Why is it okay that admitted patients who've been waiting hours for a bed can stay in an ER hallway or top an exam room when the hallways upstairs are completely empty? And so they were a very early adopter of what they call a full-capacity protocol, which is essentially when there are more than three admitted patients boarding in the ED waiting for a vacant bed, and there's no space to see incoming emergency department patients, they will pick the most stable admitted patients and move them to selected inpatient units where they are put in the bed in the hallway under the observation of inpatient nursing until their room is available. But they did more than that. Rather than simply changing the practice very properly, they studied it. And over a multi-year period, they compared the patients who did go to the hallway, and there were over 2,000 such admissions who spent some time in an inpatient hallway before they got in their bed, compared to over 50,000 patients who were admitted to a standard floor bed. What they found, first of all, were that the two groups, while they were very similar in general characteristics, they were different in a couple of important ways. The patients who ended up going to the floor waited an average of seven hours for a bed. That tells you how busy this 65,000-visit-a-year emergency department is and how long people had to wait to get admitted. The hallway admissions actually didn't go until over 10 hours, so they really only moved people to inpatient hallways when the place was absolutely packed and people were terribly backed up. Despite that, they found that the in-hospital death rates were lower for patients who ended up going to the hallway for a period of time than the ones who went straight to a bed. 2.5% for those who went straight to the floor versus 1.1% for those who spent time in an inpatient hallway. They also found that patients who went to a regular bed but spent a long time in the ER were more likely to end up in the ICU. So in other words, putting a person in an inpatient hallway for a few hours while their room gets opened up so that you can open up your ER to take more incoming patients and reduce ambulance diversion is a safe practice. And again and again, we've seen we have to be our own champions. We need to take this data back to your own hospital and make your own case for a different way of doing things. Right. And the issue we have to make sure people understand, this is about quality and about patient safety. It is very difficult for an emergency department nurse caring for two or three times the number of patients that she or he should be 
to deliver safe and adequate care. And most of the time, if you give families the choice or you give patients the choice, they would much rather be on a quiet inpatient hallway close to a nurse's station waiting for their bed than be in the middle of a noisy, brightly lit non-private emergency department. And so this is actually good for customer relations, it's good for patient satisfaction, and it's good for the institution. And interestingly, when Stony Brook implemented this protocol, their patient satisfaction scores, their Prescani scores skyrocketed. Patients were far happier under this arrangement, and it actually reflected well on the entire institution. So this isn't just good practice, it's probably good business for hospitals. Dr. Kellerman, thank you for being our guest. You're welcome. We've been talking today to Dr. Art Kellerman. We've been discussing the art and the science of conducting research in the emergency department. Dr. Kellerman is from Emory University. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thank you, as always, for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Future Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.